Hello everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Spotting. And I want to welcome everyone to the first episode of season three. On a sentimental note, thanks everyone for being on this journey with us. We are super excited to kick off this third year. Alex, what have you been doing? Um, I think the most interesting thing we've got at the moment is uh, we're setting up our next graduate cohort. Nice. So uh, for those people who've been listening to the show for a while, you may have remembered we had some graduates in uh, from our graduate program in the summer last year, I think it was. Yeah, it was. Um, so those guys are now coming to the end of their program and our next cohort will be starting in the next few weeks. So that's really cool. So lots of, lots of planning and work ahead for that. Fantastic. So we can see, we can expect a whole new host of faces, yeah. new faces, new ideas. Yeah, creating the next generation of exactly. IT folk. Awesome. Fantastic. All exciting. <laughs> but anyhow, we, we have a fantastic guest today. Uh, Arthur, welcome to Cloud Spotting. Well, thank you. Let me, um, let, me, let me pass it on across to you. Tell us a bit about yourself and uh, we'll talk about the topic of the day. Oh, right. Looking forward to it. <laughs> well, my name is Arthur Beg. I'm an enterprise solution architect uh, at Rackspace uh, for our enterprise solution architecture team. I take care of the whole portfolio of products uh, for my customers um, and uh, outside Rackspace. Um, I am um, very involved with community. I've been in IT for about 24 years now. I'm a V expert for six, seven years, I think. Now. And, uh, <laughs> uh, also All the cool people are V experts. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> v expert NSX, V expert cloud as well, uh, which I'm very proud to be. Mm. Um, also, I blog. Um, follow blogging for about a decade now almost um, and podcasting I'm, I do a podcast uh, called Open Tech Cast I'm, I'm hoping that everyone has uh, heard about it definitely yeah. listen to it I mean there are some very familiar voices on it <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's two of them in this room <laughs> yeah potentially <laughs> yeah and uh, but also involved in you know um, uh, what we call V community uh, involved with V mugs um, um, uh, tech field days and those kind of things because I do enjoy the interaction and, and exchanging ideas with people um, but also uh, involved with VMware products right from their inception partly the reason why I'm also um, a subject matter expert at where I work mm. um, a bit of a hint as to our subject matter for today uh, yes yeah. yeah. whoever gets it no prizes you already <laughs> get an answer but also you know I mean um, AWS is also my favorite topic and you can then imagine naturally VMware on AWS as well so okay cool yeah. so Sai I think we've had enough hints and tips there what's the topic of the day I think so so as you guessed we're going to talk about VMware Cloud on AWS we're going to get the ins and outs and we're going to get all the details from Arthur. Yeah, of course. Looking forward to it. So, VMware Cloud on AWS. So, Arthur, can you tell us, first of all, for those listeners who may or may not have heard of it, what is VMware Cloud on AWS? And why would a customer or why would somebody want to use it? Well, uh, simply put, uh, VMware Cloud on AWS is an implementation of a private cloud, VMware's private cloud, mm -hmm. uh, which is VMware Cloud Foundation-based, um, private cloud in a public cloud setting like in AWS in this particular case. Um, and the unique thing about VMware Cloud on AWS then is that because it's deployed on an EC2 bare metal instance, mm -hmm. uh, which is something that many people are not aware of, um, but it is a bare metal unique dedicated host that gets VMware Cloud Foundation on it, 
then it's the same environment that you would normally get in your private cloud on-prem environment, mm. which is unique in the sense that uh, for every other public cloud environment, uh, you would like to refactor or you know manually move stuff. But in this case, it's functionally identical to what you would normally have in a private ah, cloud. So if, you're, if you've got comfort and you're used to using VMware on-premises and you've got all your applications set up in a way that is comfortable in that kind of infrastructure platform, you can literally take it and drop it into an AWS data center in the cloud sat next to other AWS infrastructure. Absolutely. And that's one of the big use cases of it uh, because that makes the life of everyone who wants to move from on-prem environments to um, public cloud, mm -hmm. AWS environment in particular, uh, quite easy and you know takes the guesswork out of it mm -hmm. uh, and the worry out of it. Mm -hmm. um, and it can be implemented pretty quickly as well, accelerating you know your transfer, your migration to yep. a public cloud environment. So, so let's take a little step back and look at the high level picture. So in a sense, we're saying the old school VMware, which is ESXi on physical servers, the, 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 the de facto hypervisor mm -hmm. OS, I'm going to say in this space, um, that effectively takes the next step, goes towards a, uh, a software-defined data center, if you could call it. Mm -hmm. And then now you pick that up, which is still in, in, in everybody's mindset, a private cloud dedicated server kind of thing. You pick it up and then you drop it in AWS. So effectively, you're running private cloud on public cloud. Exactly right. That's exactly what it is. <coughs> it's Interesting. I'm really impressed with that description as well, by the way, for what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, that's, that's it. Trademark. That's absolutely right. Spot on. Um, so yeah, a private cloud. Because um, let's face it, VMware has been in uh, many companies, almost all companies' ecosystem for a very long time. Mm. And all the IT workforce is very, uh, in some shape or form, trained and used to it, all the tools that they've used, mm -hmm. the management techniques, everything that they yep. have learned is on a VMware. Tooling, exactly. automation, exactly. comfort, skills, all of those exactly. things are that already in play today. Mm -hmm. That confidence then you know, comes with using it for years and years yep. uh, and getting all that expertise. Even if you're hiring someone, um, chances are that they are going to be very well trained on a VMware environment. So mm -hmm. once that moves to the public cloud, then you realize that you know that makes it an easier option for them mm -hmm. and a very speedy option. So uh, many companies are looking at VMware Cloud on AWS for that reason. Mm -hmm. They have this knowledge and confidence that's been built over the years of using a VMware-based mm -hmm. service. It's a trusted platform, in effect, for yeah. companies all over the globe, isn't it? That's exactly right. So, yeah. so once once they know that you know that is exactly what they're going to get in the public cloud environment, mm -hmm. then that takes all the worry away. They can move very fast without much thinking or the need for re-architecting. Yeah. Yep. And that for- A it true lift and shift, because you're not even actually changing the underlying platform. Really. Exactly. Yeah. No. So, so, and then, especially for um, companies who then have further plans to integrate with AWS services, something that we're probably going to talk about later, um, all the chance to having all of that next to you at wire speed, pretty much, mm -hmm. is a big attraction for it's many companies. Huge, absolutely, and and it's it's very interesting because if you, when you think about tools that say migrate on-prem infrastructure to AWS, they they're always very focused on specific architecture. Like you, you, you very specifically talk about database migration services that just focus on databases, mm -hmm. or you have specific toolkit that migrate code 
from a, a platform to another platform. This is probably the first time I've seen where you can lift an entire infrastructure and move mm -hmm. it into, into the public cloud without actually redesigning anything. It's, it's, it's quite impressive. Also, I mean, one thing to add here is that because of all of these capabilities, all the automation that has been introduced in the recent past, like not only the PowerShell side of things, but also API yeah. um, and all those tools that they are used to, which they've written automation for, can also, as is, work mm. in that environment. A lot of friction can be in, the, in, yeah. the, in, the, in other methods where people want to go straight into, say, an IaaS platform. That can generate friction because people see that as a loss of the effort they've put into the automation tooling they have, which are aligned to their internal business processes. But if you can bypass that and utilize the same business processes, the same automation, you end up with the same result at the end is what you put in. And even even more, I mean, think about compliance and authentication. Mm. If you've built the whole structure of who gets to access a VMware environment, I, I moving that into an into an uh, into a public cloud and having its own uh, authorization methodology, mm -hmm. own authentication is again rewriting the whole chapter. Yeah. I think that's a that's a huge saving in terms of time and effort. Mm -hmm. But let's let's talk about a bit more in terms of what makes it amazing on AWS. I think I think a huge factor of that is the components that run it and because of the non-dependence of hardware. Because if you think about it, traditionally, you've had VMs sitting on ESXi, they need a SAN. Uh, they need a network mm -hmm. to run with it. And you effectively uh, essentially manage it as three separate components. You have a compute management, you have a network management, you have a storage management. That's changed now, isn't it? That's exactly right, um, because just before VMware Cloud and AWS or VMware Cloud Foundation came about, um, things started converging. Mm -hmm. So VMware started on this um, vSAN, yep. which is the <coughs> storage um, uh, platform that uh, VMware has underneath vSphere now. So that's um, now where, where the storage for your environment is actually integrated into the host. You no longer have to go out and buy a storage array. Correct. You can literally just buy a bunch of hosts with storage inside of it, and there's a, a lot of intelligence and functionality in there that protects the data across those hosts. That's exactly right. So software-defined storage, yep. or um, because then you can set policies on it. Um, that's the hyper-converged environment that we normally talk about. Mm -hmm. um, and another component of that same hyper-converged environment is the networking side of things, which mm -hmm. is NSX. Um, so the three components put together, um, the ESX environment, the vSAN environment, but also NSX on top, mm -hmm. and being managed by vCenter, um, that's something that as a bundle becomes that VMware Cloud Foundation. And there are other components as well, mm -hmm. which are sort of optional if you like, but mm -hmm. these components will make up an SDDC. That's the core. That's, that's the, core the core of it. Um, and that's the exact same environment that you then get in a VMC or default VMware Cloud uh, deployment as well, because Maybe. still being on the same VCF-based mm -hmm. environment. Right. That makes that makes it unique because then you truly have a virtualized hardware, and you don't have any dependency on hardware. So effectively, you don't really care where it's running, as long as it's got some compute, some CPU, some RAM. You get everything running off it. Mm -hmm. It's just another so data center. Yes, it's another another abstraction layer, isn't it? Really, yeah, pretty and, much. And right. one less thing for your for your administrative team to actually care about. Exactly. Right. Well, let's not even go in terms of what abstraction layers are in there, because I can see <laughs> this is going to be an inception of abstraction. We need to turn layers. this into yeah. a whiteboard session. Ooh. Oh yes, <laughs> I'm up for it. 
<laughs> It'll be a bit difficult, you know, showing a podcast. <laughs> but, you know, there are exciting components that come with it as well that we were discussing earlier that, you know, once it's in a VMware cloud environment, then you start thinking about, oh, how to shift things into that environment, right? Um, and the traditional methods exist, like Direct Connect, because that connects you to the AWS environment, and you can have um, VPNs as well. Mm-hmm. But one of my favorite tool in that sense um, is HCX, which mm-hmm. is um, Hybrid Connect. Um, so some various names and various <laughs> guises. Yeah, guys, um, three-letter acronyms all over the place. Exactly. <laughs> um, we may have to produce a dictionary at the end of the session, I think. Yeah, a glossary. Yeah. Let's do a that. A glossary like of that. Uh, acronyms. Um, but that actually makes, because it's, it's not just about connectivity. Uh, the connectivity is all well and good. But also, that all does some magic because... One thing that also very unique about uh, VMware Cloud is that the version on that environment will always, VMware has um, committed to you know, keep it current. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So whenever you get it deployed, depending on when you get it, it'll be running pretty much the latest version um, of vCenter uh, right. and, and vSphere in general. Your on-prem environment mm-hmm. may not be at that version. So as long as you're a VMware um, uh, vSphere is five or above, mm-hmm. Um, you get the VMs all taken care of as part of the migration mm-hmm. in terms of conversion of uh, being suitable for the destination VMware cloud environment. So it does a bit of magic in the background as well. So, and then you can schedule things, how you're going to migrate. So it makes the whole process quite transparent and easy to migrate above to that environment. Now, one, key, one key consideration for customers in our audience is that they should always try to keep, not necessarily in lockstep between their on-premises mm-hmm. environment and the one out in the cloud, but try to keep somewhere roughly in the same, you know, within a, one or two subversions. That is absolutely right, because uh, the older your version, and then obviously, I mean, if you go beyond five, if earlier version than that, then you can't really use HCX. Mm-hmm. Um, but the closer you are, the more benefits you get because the later versions will even allow you to be motion into the VMware cloud environment, which no, that makes is for a very nice downtime. migration method, doesn't it? Just a quick vMotion, job done. Yeah. Everybody Amazing. goes home for lunch. Imagine, <laughs> imagine, the, imagine the, uh, the DR scope in there. Yeah. It's yeah. huge. So that sounds fantastic, Arthur. But I think there's, there's another big question that we need to answer before we go into the detail. Um, we saw what VMC is, and we saw the details around what is required to run it. But why do we need it? Um, is there a, a use case from a from a from a perspective of moving to public cloud? Do you see any other use cases that say why do we need to run VMC on AWS? Yes, uh, indeed. I mean, there there are a whole list of use cases where um, people would like to, or companies would like to do that. And for some companies, it's more to do with integration into they they have always wanted to refactor their applications and put them into AWS. Yep. Um, so in this particular case, uh, they, they are able to do that quite easily. Some I've got some um, uh, cases where um, exiting a data center was mm-hmm. the important thing for them. Um, Often in a rush as well. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> you, <laughs> uh, it's typical, isn't it? Uh, you leave it until the very last minute and then yep. you want to be moving. Um, so there's a useful use case for that because you have such minimal amount of change that you need to be able to get out of that data It's center perfect, break. isn't it? Yeah. Um, and um, then um, some companies want to use it as a DR platform, mm-hmm. uh, which is another very unique use case that we'll probably delve more deeper into a bit later. But 
um, it's it's an ideal platform for um, a cost-effective DR solution. Mm -hmm. um, but also, you know, um, if your uh, company requires to, you know, completely over a period of time move into a cloud-native environment, then this is the ideal platform, isn't it? Because you are exiting your data center. You're putting it into... Um, you're getting the best of both worlds, if you think about it, because yep. it's a private cloud setting. I mean, you know, and you will operate it going forward, but then slowly but surely, without any risk, you move into the public cloud environment. Mm -hmm. And also, it doesn't lock your capital. And again, something that we can talk about a bit more, but if you keep renewing your on-prem environment, that that's a never-ending cycle, pretty mm -hmm. much. There you go. Uh, and you're locking your capital in, whereas on a VMware Cloud on AWS environment, you basically consume as much as you need, mm -hmm. uh, which can grow or shrink. Mm -hmm. um, and as you convert your environment into yep. a cloud-native one, then the requirement gets Just smaller and smaller, and you can shrink it back down. So and a pseudo-infinite data center. It is. Oh. oh, I like that term now. Trademark. So Patent You have to, yeah, exactly. You should <laughs> trademark that. So, uh, so, so yeah. I mean, th there are many use cases that we can we can talk about. Um, uh, some more common than others, um, but mm -hmm. th there are many. It, does uh, I mean we talked about usability and migration, etc. Does cost play a role? And I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that it's either on par or I dare to say cheaper. Uh, yes. Um, uh, I, I've, I've been doing some, you know, uh, number crunching on that as well. Um, I won't bore you with all those details. <laughs> uh, but what I want people to focus on, because this misconception has been around for a while now, that where as soon as you start talking about VMware Cloud and AWS, people look at the list price and then they get fixated on that and say, well, this is very expensive. Mm. Um, but that's, I think, a bit short-sighted because you should be looking at the total cost of ownership of the entire platform. Because consider this, <coughs> in an on-prem environment, it's not just, say, the tin that you have to buy. Um, it's also all about the utilities that, that go with it, but also about the infrastructure. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's all traditional. Now, okay, uh, granted that, you know, in a VMware cloud environment, you might want to do it differently and probably won't suit 100% of the use cases. But in most cases, you can see that the switches that you normally use in a physical networking infrastructure, mm -hmm. the firewalls that you have in between, mm -hmm. um, and all the other things that you normally put in a traditional data center, you are not doing in a VMware cloud mm -hmm. environment. So you save on those costs as well. Mm -hmm. And again, like the same way that the servers have um, a renewal cycle, you know, the end of life and depreciation, all of those kind of things, in the VMware cloud environment, and, and all the other environment, uh, uh, devices that you have sure. running with it, you don't have in the VMware cloud environment. Mm -hmm. So all of that put together, it actually comes out, if not cheaper, at least on par. Mm -hmm. uh, that will obviously vary based on what your on-prem environment looks like. But in most cases, you will find that it's the entire thing that you have to be looking at. I think VMware is also working on a calculator, as far as I remember. I think they've also released it now, mm -hmm. uh, which actually then takes all those other things into account as well. And lets you estimate what your TCO looks like. Exactly. Yeah. And I love TCO calculators, <laughs> <laughs> I must say. Well, I think the, the interesting bit is uh, 
so I was working on something a while ago and Ather had actually provided some cost examples and some cost right. calculations. So in a real world example there where we had a customer with, I can't remember, I think it was probably like three or 400 VM, something like in that kind of a scale, um, okay. the costs were so similar that actually you, at that point, you need to forget about the costs because let's be blunt, right? You're not actually, unless you're being very, very specific and being driven by your CFO on right. one specific thing, you're not, yeah. the, the reason for moving to cloud is not, Cost, cost, right? Absolutely. The reason for moving to cloud is all of the other benefits you're getting around scalability, flexibility, managed services, all of these other things that you have available to you, which you can plug in alongside mm -hmm. your VMC platform, using this as the example. Um, so if you have something which is roughly in the same cost bracket, actually the benefits to the business are way bigger because you then have access to all of this other stuff that can help you with your business. Your business. Well, it makes progression quite easy because you don't have a you don't have that block of saying it's more expensive or exactly. the block of saying we're moving from CapEx to OpEx. Exactly. And let me add one more thing to it. I actually mentioned it to someone else and they immediately put, you know, the, um, the GIF, which says mind oh yeah. blown. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so it's, it's, it's basically uh, something, again, which is people forget about, uh, is that, you know, in a traditional on-prem environment, when you go through that cycle, what happens? every four or five years, you're not only refreshing the hardware, yep. waiting for it to be delivered, putting all that effort in, mm. building that, moving things across, manpower, yep. all of that you spend on that, right? Yep. VMware, in a VMware cloud environment, will all of transparently keep doing that for you. Mm -hmm. So you're always on the latest version. Say ten years later as well, everything because when a new version or if they even they if they want to refresh hardware, the commitment basically is because it's a service they're going to insert the new hard hardware in, mm -hmm. move the service across transparently, and you're not going to know about it. So all that time and effort that and money that you yep. spend on all that effort, which are not things that actually drive your business forward, they're just no. things that help you maintain the status quo, aren't they? Exactly. I mean, for, for for want of a better phrase, because I know this is something that AWS uses, but the whole undifferentiated heavy lifting phrase, I think that is genuinely applies really uh, appropriately in this particular instance. Yeah, and also you know, so ap when you're migrating, application moves. Typically, if you're vMotioning, that still requires some. If not downtime, there's a risk, mm. yeah. right? All of those things, because you are manually doing it and spending time and money on it, all of that is taken care of hand, um, transparently in a VMware cloud environment. So basically what I'm saying is that there are so many costs that people don't consider, mm -hmm. which are eliminated in this environment, mm -hmm. uh, which makes it, I think, a lot more financially beneficial to yep. be on that environment, apart from all the other benefits that you normally get. Mm -hmm. So keep your CFO happy, and then you can go and play with this shiny new toy, is what you're saying. I, that's exactly <laughs> what I mean. <laughs> yeah. I, th I think fin finance probably still be involved with uh, AWS <laughs> and the cloud billing and get their head around. Mm -hmm. What is this pay-as-you-go model? I know. <laughs> Moving from CapEx to OpEx. It's always a big question. But no, absolutely. I think this, this helps the, the journey, at least from a solution slash technology perspective. It, it takes the leaps and bounds forward. Cool. So th that makes complete sense. And I think it helps a lot to understand um, the approach of VMC and AWS, not from a tech perspective, not just from a tech perspective, rather, but also from a finance perspective and a budgeting perspective. Let's let's go a bit more detail. I think we, we, we're going ahead on time smoothly and I'm loving the detail we're going in there. But let's keep going. A biggest point that I always encounter with customers, and effectively whenever I speak, 
say, moving to public cloud or AWS, there's always the question of availability and HA comes into play because mm. there is a mindset difference, isn't it? There is a platform difference. Um, running a VM on VMware in, in the private cloud is not the same as running a VM on AWS, traditional AWS EC2. Mm -hmm. So how are we addressing that? What are we doing different to bridge that gap? Actually, um, that's a very good point because um, uh, no doubt, like you mentioned, a lot of um, traditional on-prem environments are based on those kind of, say, dual data center type deployments. Uh, and a lot of our customers actually ask for that too. Um, and especially in a, in a scenario when you're exiting a DC. Exactly. Um, uh, funnily enough, I'm currently working on one, one such, um, with one such customer who actually have exact same requirements because they have a traditional synchronously replicated dual data center deployment where the vCenter um, or vSphere environment um, is talking to their uh, local storage, but also it's been synchronously replicated to the other one. And again, the, the, the idea is all having high availability. In their particular case, I am recommended to them um, to architect it in a way that uses the feature of VMware Cloud, which is called stretch clusters. Right. And the idea is that even though there are two different subnets in availability zones, because of their NSXT abstraction of the network, that it, uh, a VMware Cloud environment provides, and the vSAN that can be then stretched across the two availability zones, um, it becomes easy to replicate all of that storage onto the other availability zone. Then you're not restricted to one availability zone for your VMware Cloud, which mm -hmm. means that if for some reason, now it's very rare for a an availability zone in AWS to go down, but if it does, you have another one which mm -hmm. will take all the load. And you can actually, as a matter of course, r distribute your workloads to simultaneously run. So it's not your computer going to waste. And that will provide them with the same availability that customers are used to. In fact, to be honest, I always normally recommend if you've got an environment that warrants, say, six or more hosts, I always recommend to distribute it into a stretch cluster. Right. Because at the end of the day, it's still a DC. Mm -hmm. So if you are worried about your date, your, your uh, environment going down, uh, if a DC is down, yeah. then uh, even being in AWS, you would naturally design for such an environment. Makes sense, right? It's part of your DC mitiga uh, risk mitigation strategy and business continuity. That's so yes, I mean, it, this is about you know merging HA, HA and DR. Mm -hmm. That in, it takes care of both scenarios, if you like, uh, mm -hmm. in different ways. So you are aware of normal HA on-prem. Yep. On yep. uh, it provides you with the same kind of functionality in an AWS environment uh, that you wouldn't typically have mm -hmm. uh, in a traditional environment. One other thing that I just quickly wanted to mention here is that previously, um, the, the idea was that um, there is some charge because of the inter-availability zone traffic, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. but hot hop suppress uh, recently it has been very reduced, so it's like ninety-five percent. So okay. that cost is no longer an issue, a factor, yeah. and a factor okay. in costing. Factor, right. So, so in, if you're listening, and you were <laughs> concerned about that kind of uh, cost, uh, VMware has recently pretty much re uh, eliminated that. That's well. a good point. So, so if you are listening and you have questions like this and doubts like this, tweet us. 
Yes. Let's 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 uh, let's pick a conversation on that point because things this is pretty much cutting edge. Things are changing. Announcements are coming in all over the place every day. So if you hear something or if you have a doubt or if you have a query that that concerns the solution, yeah, tweet us. We we'll, we'll discuss it and we'll see if we can get answers to you. I'll be happy to help. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. It's it's bizarre. Just going back to the point that you mentioned earlier, Arthur. How m- it, it's. I can't remember how many times I've had this conversation of telling people HA in VMware does not equal HA in AWS. Yes, yes. It's always it's always this conundrum yep. and I can't believe it's 2020 and we're still talking about this. <laughs> well that was I mean back in the day that was one of the most amazing things about VMware HA was your host goes down and your virtual machine gets restarted on another exactly. host and it comes back up and assuming yeah. that your image hasn't been corrupted or anything like that then you know BAU so the, the, I think what's actually happened there, though, is um, from a developer standpoint, is there's almost been a bit of a dependence on that in, yeah. his, in kind of traditional application development where you could live with single points of failure within a solution yeah. because you accepted the fact that the infrastructure would take care of it. Exactly. So now we then move to an IaaS platform in a modern modern environment. And typically, although there are some mitigations using things like on, on AWS as a feature um, called auto recovery, which can help in that scenario. Um, it's not. It's not Ooh. quite the, at the same level as VMware HA, where you know that this machine is going to come back up and be running yeah. as normal. I so if you are dependent on those, exactly, um, then utilizing uh, uh, something like VMC on AWS means you can still depend on that traditional VMware HA, yeah. at least until such times as you get a baseball bat and beat your developers into rewriting <laughs> that code. Oh, don't beat your developers. <laughs> <Yeah>. they, they <laughs> Uh, encourage them. Tell them, them. Tell them to use microservices yeah. or not. Because <laughs> when, when I hear this, I think we have a solution for both. So you've got your old school developers on monolithic applications can use the HA that VMware provides. Mm-hmm. And your new school developers, is that a term, new school? Anyways, I'm using it. Uh, new NU. School, NU. <laughs> new school de- developers who use microservices, you got AWS products. Mm-hmm. So best of both worlds. It is, indeed. Awesome, awesome. Listen, I, I think we, we, we've talked about HA, we've talked about DR. There's a lot more we can go into it, but I think we need to pull this back a bit. Uh, we might have to put a pin in it. We might have to put a pin in it. Well, I wanted to talk at length about our uh, DR kind of scenarios and you know <laughs> the external storage that makes it cheaper and all of that kind of thing. When are we going to talk about that? Arthur, uh, your excitement is very, very... Uh, palpable. Palpable. <laughs> Yes, that's a good word. I should use that. I'm sure the listeners are going to be very, very keen to go more in detail. So here, here's what here's what my ask of you is, listeners. If you listening to this, if you are having questions in your mind, if you if you want to talk more into a specific topic, or if you just want to hear more about VMC and AWS, go to go on Twitter. Go to our website. Uh, our Twitter handle is at Spotting Clouds. Tweet us. Let us know what you want to hear. And if you go to our website, which is rackspace.com forward slash cloud spotting, there's a form there. Put your details in there. Put it in. Uh, we'll we'll share it with Arthur. And and uh, I I want to say maybe even do a special another episode or a webinar or something around going in detail because I'm very keen on going in more into the how and the such a massive subject. Yeah, exactly. I think we're just scratching the surface. Is oh, the absolutely. Yes, I, I I'm bursting with excitement to you know <laughs> share all of that detail with you which i can't unfortunately because of the time constraints cool indeed indeed 
So I think I think let's do that. Um, before we before we uh, sort of close this episode, I think we definitely need to talk about the book recommendation. It's the first episode of the year, so we need some some information from you out there. What are your? I mean, you've been listening to those episodes before. You've been listening to podcasts before. What are your recommendations from a book perspective for this episode? So I think one of the books that has been mentioned on the podcast before is uh, is one of one of my favorites because of the positivity that you get from reading that book <laughs> uh, is factfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I think um, I've got the yeah. link that uh, you can put in the show notes um, we'll do that. Uh, so if you want to g- buy it um, and, and read it. Because, uh, yeah, it, it focuses on how many things that we just tend to ignore and have been improved in the world. So, mm-hmm. so it's, it's full of positivity. And if you're a numbers buff and you, you like about data and something backing up your assumptions, then it's a good book to go for. Excellent. Uh, but also, Phoenix Project. Um, and yeah. I think that book must be or should become part of the curriculum. So, so it's, it's riveting, you know, uh, reading. Mm-hmm. That if you go through it, everyone who has been in IT for a while can relate to it. Mm-hmm. And whoever is actually be thinking of becoming and going into IT should read it and yep. then laugh later <laughs> once they actually see. <laughs> once you've solved all the problems that you've uh, exactly. identified <laughs> having read the book. So, so it, it, it's, it's definitely one thing to definitely read, go, and it's, it's a fun book anyway. Uh, it should be dramatized, I think. Yeah, mm. I think it's a great book. I think we mentioned uh, the Unicorn Project probably yes. in one of our earlier episodes. Which is a follow-up. Well, that was the next uh, next one in the series. Yes, that's, yeah. right. that's right. So if you haven't read the Unicorn Project, I mean, before that, reading the Phoenix Project would be yeah. actually a good prequel to it yeah exactly it's like a good preamble but I mean to your point Arthur I think definitely uh, it makes sense I won't be surprised if Phoenix Project or books like Phoenix Project become official curriculum Mm. Uh, we recently had a visit to a uh, school because we do the uh, the hour of code thing as charity they're teaching Python to to year five year six children they know how to code in Python I struggle to code in Python (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's amazing. So I think I think uh, yeah, the whole DevOps mentality, the whole code-driven approach. Mm-hmm. I I think that's going to be standard curriculum. No, thanks for that. Thanks for that. Arthur. One simple question: How can people follow you online? Well, the usual um, Twitter is the best way. Uh, uh, my uh, handle is Arthur Big at Arthur Big, uh, which is A T H E R B E G. Uh, very simple. Um, you can pretty much guess what my blog is. It's atharbeg.com. Um, but you can also find me on LinkedIn. Um, so uh, those are the usual places. Um, Twitter, like I said, is the best one. I think. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Ather. It's been great having you on as a guest. Uh, we look forward to potentially a follow-up episode or a webinar or a something, TBC. Something. Uh, yeah, something. Um, so in the meantime, um, if you have enjoyed the show, please do give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. You can contact us on Twitter at Spotting Clouds. And we also have our feedback form now. Uh, as Sai mentioned, rackspace.com slash cloudspotting. Yep. So thank you very much again to everybody for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.